0: That f***ing Stephen Merchant knockoff wanker Jürgen Klopp, that gaslighting (laughs) bullying prick that he is and I think we can all agree that Jurgen Klopp is a gaslighting, <laughs> bullying prick, because we've all agreed about this before in the podcast. I know Dave agrees. To have the temerity to scream in the official's face as celebration for his team scoring. Instead of just enjoying his... And only
1: getting a yellow as well. That should have been another one. That read. should
0: have been a red as well. But has the temerity to do that when his winner has just been scored by a guy who should have been sent off when his yeah. team have not had a Stonewall penalty given against them. For him to do that... And it gets laughed off as cheeky Jurgen Klopp. He's so heavy metal, rock and roll football. F*** off you wankers. He is a dickhead. Paul TNE gave him tons of favours. Klopp should have been going down on his knees for TNE at the end of that game after the poor performance that ref gave. Not screaming in his face.
1: Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast, the Tottenham hotspur theme show that's brought to you each week by a team of Spurs fans – and a Leeds fan called Dave. This week, we have the usual team of Spurs fans. We have the usual Leeds fan called Dave. Everyone's here. It's a full house. And of course, it had to be because Spurs are putting on such an entertaining show. The football isn't quite as entertaining as we would like it to be at all times. The results are certainly entertaining. And the circus that continues is definitely giving everyone something to marvel at and wonder in shock and awe at the moment. Returning, as always, is Elio and Socrates, as well as Dave. Guys, welcome. Welcome back for another episode. This one is going to be a fun one, isn't it? I'm very excited about this. We've got a lot to get through. And of course, since the last episode, we've actually had two games and neither is without incident. So we're going to get through the Man United game and the Liverpool game. At the time of recording, it is Sunday and it's pretty much very fresh, a couple of hours after the Liverpool game. So we're recording with tempers flared in the heat of the moment, as they say. So this could be interesting. We're going to get some rather unfiltered analysis from the Spurs fans in the room elio i'm gonna come to you first because you set the scene for this today in the whatsapp chat just now by texting us all i have much rage to vent tonight which got me quite excited. Socks then responded with, I am incandescent, but we can't both be Hulk. I'll be Bruce Banner, which ends the day to me. So (laughs) looking forward to that. But I'm going to ask the Hulk first for his general musings on Spurs. How are you feeling right now, Elio? Dare I ask? Um, Hulk smash, I guess. (laughs) Um, How am I feeling?
0: I feel... I feel the club has somehow clawed back a little bit of caring about what happens from me in the last couple of games, which is nice. It also means that the pain of how things transpire to be is suddenly magnified again. And I'm wondering whether I prefer that or not to my previous ambivalence and apathy. Yeah. Now, joke aside, I do prefer that to my previous ambivalence and apathy, but it, yeah. it's still obviously not fun. It's confusing how I feel right now, Stacey. It's really confusing because <laughs> on the one hand, there's been a lot to dislike about what we've just seen in the past four or five mm-hmm. days. But on the other hand... There's been a lot to like, unrecognisably so, from what we've been seeing for the best part of the previous, well, season. I can identify a bit with what I saw in the last couple of matches, and I'll definitely take
1: that over the show that's been most of the season. Fair enough. Well, I'll give you a bit more time to think about how you really feel. Eh? You can come back to us on that in a little bit. I'm gonna go straight to Dave now, because I feel like we gave Dave a long introduction last time. We went to him after about six minutes, and we're already getting close to that now. So, Dave, welcome back to the show for another week. You said last week you can't wait to see what happens next. I don't think we disappointed, did we? No,
2: you, you certainly didn't, but unfortunately another game had kind of set the turn of my being on this podcast already today. So yeah. for this podcast, and much like for the rest of the season, I just
1: cannot wait for it to be over. Hmm. Yep, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I think a lot of people Feel along the same lines. Uh, and Dr. Banner, how are you keeping the rage levels in check at the moment? You, you're about to have an outburst at any moment? You're keeping it together? No, I'm artificially calming myself down just because if him and I both <laughs> pop off one another, then
3: someone's headphone's yeah. going to break, someone's microphone's going to go, something is going to explode. So I'll try to keep calm in,
1: in yeah. his opposition. <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck with that. We'll see how that goes. As I say, two games to talk about, two very eventful games. We've had 11 goals in those two games, obviously 18 in our last three, but we're going to talk about both the Man United game at home and the Liverpool game at Anfield today. We're going to go to the Liverpool game first today just because it's fresh in our mind, and I think it was slightly more eventful and probably more noteworthy to talk about. So we're going to get into the Liverpool game, but of course we're going to kind of jump back and forth between the two because Mm. as Elio was just saying, you kind of have to talk about it as a whole, Ryan Mason's first two games taking back over so we're going to go kind of back and forth but let's start off just talking about the Liverpool game and Sox when you went into this having seen us kind of finish quite strong at the end of the Man United game was there a part of you kind of hoping that we could actually at least start a bit better than we did because I know you had a pretty low bar didn't you when we were talking about this last week you just said like even if we lose let's just not get absolutely battered like that's where the bar is it certainly looked like we were about to <laughs> the beginning of this game. The Man
3: United game didn't really change my mind just because when you've got a manager come in and basically have what four training sessions picking up a team whose confidence is essentially below the floor. And yep. you're going to a Liverpool side who I know they haven't been at their best this season, but I think they've lost once at home all year. And we saw what they did to a pretty decent Man United side only a few weeks ago. Mm. I wasn't really expecting all that much. And then obviously the first 5-10 minutes happens, and all of a sudden the WhatsApp group is filled with the same sort of rhetoric that <laughs> was only a week ago, which is, are we settling for 6? Could this be 10? Is it going to fall somewhere in the middle? obviously we then responded way better than anybody could have realistically anticipated because it had that exact same vibe to the point where i was just laughing like i i was sat on my own watching it on tv and i was yeah. I genuinely just burst into laughter that's all you can uh, do yeah i felt like the joker or something i i, I, <laughs> I had like quite a visceral reaction because it was one of those where it felt uh, the word literally is overused a lot in the modern day but it felt mm. literally unbelievable like i couldn't believe what i was seeing yeah. because to do what we did against newcastle once is insane. I know we didn't quite do it, but at the time when you're watching, you're like, oh my God, we're about to do this twice. Like I've seen a mm. Derby County team that got 11 points or something like that, not have this happen to them. Like we've seen Southampton yeah. this season who are going down like an absolute sack of shit not have this sort of stuff happen to them so like why Tottenham obviously we recovered but yeah the start of yeah. it was like it was like that San Andreas meme like here we go again that that oh, was the yeah. sort of yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't want to swear again but <laughs> the interviewer and in Sky Sports talking to Harry Kane afterwards basically said the same thing they were like what are you thinking when what you were so sure was a one-off that absolutely can't happen again it was looking mm-hmm. like it was going to happen again uh, Elio worrying signs at the beginning of that game at 2 3 nil that early on you must have been fearing the worst you must have been seeing another Newcastle coming. I absolutely did. It seemed inevitable
0: at that point. And it was strange because last time you could say, oh, well, they switched to the back four with Poro and as fullbacks who have not played there at all in years, whatever. I don't think Perisic ever has, actually. And Poro definitely not yeah. in his time at Lisbon, as I understand it. So you could almost excuse that of it. On this occasion, we went back to the back five, which everyone says, oh, Conte was right to play the back five because we aren't good enough defensively Mm -hmm. to have fewer than five defenders on the pitch, blah, blah, blah. And it was still just a chance. It just goes, show it's not about the formation. It's about the mentality. It's about the coaching. It's about the organization. You can't expect, whether it's Ryan Mason or whether it's Marcello Lippi, you can't expect six days to change... The shambles of a defence that we've had all season, especially not against a Liverpool side who were very clearly frothing at the mouth to punish everything they could straight away, which is exactly what they did. But what you can do and what I really hope is becoming very clear to whoever the next manager is going to be, to our board, to the coaching staff at the club, what you cannot do is persist with players who are clearly going to let you down game after game. And mm-hmm. I hate saying this because he's a guy that you know I like a lot. I've always supported him voice always back and we have collectively. But yeah. Eric Dyer, number one, carpet yep. in chief, with the way he was distributing out, passing straight into their players. It wasn't even under mm. pressure stuff. It was just amateur. Pedro Porro, um alright, so I know he's new to the country, new to the club, but he's making basic errors that are putting his teammates under pressure. Romero going in for that tackle to give away the penalty when there's other defenders by him who can still prevent any shots if he doesn't succeed by staying on his feet. These are not things you expect of a well coached and coherent side. And in the case of Zaire, you think okay, he's just not good enough. In the case of Romero and Porro, you see a real lack of development and maybe even going backwards in them as footballers since they have been at the Mm -hmm. club. Then on the other side, the fact that our left-hand side between Perisic and Son is an absolute sieve like, anyone mm. can get through it. A toddler could dribble through it and get across, and it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's it's absolutely paltry. And honestly, I, I then go further with that and think, well, okay, Davies we know is a good enough left-back. He at least stops crosses coming in at the very least. Mm. Just play the back four, have Perisic in the final third only, where he's clearly actually not bad based on the assist he got today and other assists he's got this season and what he does yeah. for Croatia. We're just... We're repeating the same mistakes over and over as a coaching staff, as a team. And these guys are just not learning from at any point. And at some point, you're just going to say, are any of them
1: actually good enough? How wholesale do these changes need to be? Yeah, I think with Dyer it goes across both games really and Romero to be fair. Romero has obviously not been awful all season but I think a lot of Spurs fans have... I think Romero has been awful
0: all season. I think I can count on one hand the amount of good games he's had compared to bad. He gets more slack based on hope as much as anything else because it's a lot of money to write off if he's not very good. But to tell Mm. you the truth, he has some games where you think you could be one of the best defenders in the world and he has other games where you think... How are you a World Cup winner? How were you Serie A defender of the year? It you, you just boggles the mind. You're looking at this guy and you're kind of seeing all the worst elements of Vlad Kirikas, Juan Foyth and Federico Fazio brought together in one absolute <laughs> apoplectic <laughs> massacre of a situation.
3: That is some Frankenstein's monster. A couple of points on that. I think there are two types of player in our defense. I think there are some you can judge and some you can't. And by that, I mean, when you take us as a whole this season, we've got players that we know are good, i.e. someone like Hoogman Son, who hasn't been performing well as a result of coaching. So I look at somebody like Pedro Puro, who's only been there for a few months, and I say... I think it's too harsh to judge him because he's walked into such a shambles of a team. And that's fair. You, you know what a good coach is like. We, we say it every week. Look at what Eddie Howe has done with Newcastle. Look at what Emery has done with Villa, whose players look like yeah. they were going to potentially go down. Now they're competing for a Europa League place. So I think 100%. players like, like Romero, like Porro, who either haven't been here long enough or we have seen. I saw enough from Romero across the few months he played towards the back end the last season for me to think that there's at least a good player in there that could be... Very good, if not more. We know his weaknesses. We know his deficiencies. He's very rash, but with the right coaching and the right system, that's how you get your Syria defender of the year. The other point, and I think Elio basically touched upon it, is that I think the unique problem with our squad is. All of our issues, as far as I'm concerned, are concentrated in the same area of the pitch. Because mm. I look at the midfield and the front four, and I think to myself, one or two players here and there, like we don't really have a number 10. We don't really have any kind of cover for Kulicevsky. We need a bit, few more creative players. But I'm looking at the list of defenders we've got now. Lloris needs to go. Sanchez needs to go. Tanganga needs to go. Romero, yeah. keep him and hope for the best. Longley, yeah. he's only on loan. Dyer, squad player at best. Davis, the same. Perisic will be off, Sessegnon, I'm sorry, but he's crap. Mm. Emerson may be in the right system, Porro let's give him some not time to you've exactly a few months. And then you've got
0: Spencer Nudoggi to come back
3: from loan as well. And, yeah. And Rick, as well. are not really but, defenders. But, but the point being, I reckon we can sign it pretty... I mean, next season, the only one I can say I wouldn't mind starting 100% is Romero. and He's our best centre-back and we still mm-hmm. have huge question marks over him because he is rash and he can give a penalty away at any moment. So I think what Elio has identified is essentially the recruitment that we've had in the past few years whether it's been a lack thereof or it's been sufficient in terms of quantity, but just really, really poor, means that I wouldn't mind if we made four, five, six signings this summer and they were literally all goalkeepers and defenders. Like I genuinely wouldn't mind if we didn't. Because we need to remember the next season is year one of another project. So Hmm. you need to look at it in terms of what would the year one team be. So I don't mind if we can't get everything this summer. Go out and sign four or five defenders because we've just conceded, even before today, I think there was a point a few weeks ago, right before Conte left, where we conceded more goals at that point than we did throughout the entirety of last season. Again, some of that will be coaching, but this isn't Vertonghen, this isn't viral. And that, for me, is the biggest gap between us and anybody else that you consider to be not just the top team, but pretty good like Brighton not the top top but a good mm. side they defend way better than us they have better defenders than us they have a better goalkeeper than us yeah
0: the thing is you have to assess first of all you have to assess what system you want to bloody play that's step one which is why I really hope that despite the lack of any clarity really on who might be coming in I really hope that they're close to getting whoever it is over the line and they've just kept it away from the media very successfully because we're going to need to move quick this summer in terms Mm. of acquiring players that fit whoever our new manager system is because he's going to need to coach and he's going to need a preseason. We can't get into August with our back line not already signed, sealed, and delivered. So I really hope they're close to identifying who the new manager is. Step one, that. Step two, you figure out who you have at the club, who can play it. In my opinion, the likes of Spence, Emerson, Porro, and then on the other side... Udogi and Davies are all perfectly capable to be groomed as either wingbacks or fullbacks because they're all quick, strong, athletic players. All right, the likes of Emerson is more of a defender, but look at Wan-Bissaka at the moment and see how a defensive right-back can be coached to play in a Mm. more attacking way. The likes of Udogi may be more used to playing wingback, but I'm pretty sure the six-foot tall, sort of hundred yards sprinter's physique wing yeah. back at the age of 20 or whatever he is can be coached to play as a good mm. left back so for reg as well obviously as well in that mix i think we've got enough in those positions center back center back center back we've got like you say one that you'd be comfortable playing in romero i'd be comfortable keeping Longley as well i actually think he's done more good than not good since he's been here i think there's a player yep, there fair. but What we need is someone to put next to Romero, whether it's in a two or a three, that is going to do for him what someone like Nabet, who wasn't a great defender, but he was a wizened defender, did for Ledley King. A year of Nabet next to him turned Ledley King into the best centre-back in the league, arguably before Dave starts telling me off. (laughs) Um, So So past that. So we need experience, though. We need someone who has already shown that he's a top defender. We don't need a Romero who's 22, 23 and is the latest hot young thing. We need someone who's going to come in there, be a leader. I I don't even mind it being an older player. I don't even mind if we sign a 31-year-old centre-back, if they're good. I mean, I bloody take someone like... well, I'm going to hate myself. <laughs> no, who but- played alongside Romero
1: at the World Cup, and they were very good together. Well, that's just that- just as an example, that it can be an older player.
0: You know what? That that isn't a bad, shout, But I was thinking more along, and he's proven it in this league as well. But I was thinking along the lines of someone like Tarkovsky, who's likely getting yeah. relegated this season. For instance, someone like that, someone who has maybe not the highest pedigree, but knows how to defend first and foremost. Uh, Dave's going (laughs) to criticize me now. I can see it. And (laughs) We need a goalkeeper who's an absolute leader. We need someone domineering. We need a Nick Pope. We need someone who's going to absolutely bully every single opposition forward that gets within spitting distance of him. Halfway through your rant, Elio, Dave went for a massive swig of what, like
3: a huge glass of wine combined with Guinness. And then for the rest of the 50%, he just had his hand <laughs> in his hands. So I'm curious to see. Probably watching the highlights, of but he's got a not
1: I think he's just watching Spurs by the sounds of that. Uh, yeah, I think in summary, I think we definitely are going to have some defenders, and whoever it is needs to complement Romero quite well. So we'll have to see what happens there, but I'm sure we'll, we'll have some time to discuss potential ideas for signings there. But let's let's talk about the defenders that we do have, and that we unfortunately have had to watch. Dave, you had the pleasure of watching our defense try and stop Liverpool from scoring goals for the first twenty minutes there. Well, there were there a lot of wows coming out of your mouth this week? just <laughs> like last week against Newcastle.
2: It was like it was like. Dad, it's happening again. <laughs> that, was, that was kind of my yeah. point. It was like, oh, I thought there was last week, but the, the other team were in a different kit. Oh, well, oh, same again then, I guess. Um, yeah, it was um, yeah, yeah. It was a bit of a here we go again moment, wasn't it? But I do want to come back yeah. to the point that you guys were just talking about, about defenders. First, I think it'd be hilarious if Leeds got relegated and you guys signed Liam Cooper. I'd be all up for that <laughs> uh, because you don't know you're born with the defenders you've got. But it's all a moot point, isn't it? You have to wait until the is signed. If you get the mm. right manager, you might not get a centre-back and you might get 25 clean sheets next season. That's how it works. You need a good manager, you need a good coach, and that person will determine whether you need more players. You've got plenty of centre-backs, plenty of centre-backs you pay a lot of money for, plenty of centre-backs who aren't past their prime. So I think pressing the button and buying three new centre-backs is the wrong way to go, to be honest. You need to mm. you need to find a coach who can work with a lot of what you've already got because you've got a lot. You've got a lot. you spent a lot of money on that squad, the and, and there, there is we have lot spent of a lot of money on, on the squad. Devison Sanchez, I know he's been he's been an absolute busted flush in the last few weeks and probably the last couple of years. But at the same time, he's not 33. He's got a lot of playing left. Yeah, but you say we've spent a lot of money.
0: We haven't spent a lot of money on our defence, though. We haven't on our centre backs. We've got Dyer, who's been here nine years now, who we signed as a promising youth, who had a very good first few seasons for four or five million, something like that. Long lays loney. Tanganga is a youth player. Romero, big money signing, which touch wood, we hope will come good. Davinson Sanchez was a big money signing. He was a £38 million player six years ago in 2017. So we're six years on now and that potential should have turned into Something much, much better by now yeah, for he's that not worth kind it of money too. for a 21 year. Yeah, the fact that he's, he's, he's not probably worth, worth less as a 27 year old than he was as a 21 year old is really, really damning. So. I do think we need to invest in that part of the pitch. And once again, it's not just about sort of spending heavily. It's about spending on something proven and reliable. What you want from defenders, first and foremost, is consistency. You want to know, okay, that ball's coming in over the top, but he's going to stick his head on it and send it 50 yards up the pitch. You want to know that he's going to know not to get tight to someone dramatically quicker than him. You want to know that he's not going to fall asleep and let a soft pass go past his foot into the path of an oncoming Mohamed Salah or pass it straight to Mohamed Salah twice in the space of about five minutes like Eric Dyer did mm-hmm. today. So I do think it is an under-invested part of the squad.
2: I think the thing is that it is easy to say we need three centre-backs and we need a goalkeeper and I think you need another centre midfielder as well. And who knows what's going to happen with Kane. But you don't want to spend 20 million pounds a player on this because you bought Basuma and you bought Spence and here we are. You need to spend mm. proper money, fifty plus million per player, mm. to make it worthwhile. Quantity and if you're going to quantity. do that, then you can't buy three centre backs unless you're buying two centre backs no. at a punt and a fifty, sixty million pound centre back. So I would yeah. focus on what I think you really, really need. So maybe that is a centre-back and maybe that's what the coach will say. But I think it's definitely a goalkeeper. You need a mm. long-term, you know, if not captain, yeah. absolute leader at the back. And and I honestly think you need another centre midfielder because I think, you know, as we have seen here, one injury and you guys you guys struggle. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think we all agree on, on that but one. But that's
2: 120,
1: 140 million. Yeah. Are we all in agreement at least that Eric Dyer's time is up? as a starter for Spurs maybe keep him around the squads you know for morale for the experience but he's had two horrible games in a row and I know you could say the same about a lot of our players but I think he was at fault very clearly for a number of goals across the last few games it's that point a
0: manager says his time's up unfortunately I mean if it was up to the fans his time would have been up three years ago I mean
1: do you think it should be would you not like to see Eric Dyer be a starter next season And I know in an ideal world, we're going out and signing superstars to replace him. But do you think that should be a priority? Find a dire replacement specifically?
0: Well, specifically find a top quality centre-back. We don't need to call them a dire replacement or left centre-back or right centre-back or central centre-back or whatever. We just need to sign a top, top centre-back. And Dave just said, we're talking about the best part of 140, 150 million here. If we're getting sort of that midfielder, that centre-back, that goalkeeper, all top players. Yes, we do need to spend the best part of 140, 150 million on those three positions because those are the three positions that will dramatically improve the way we play. And that is what the clubs who compete at the top do every single summer. They do spend a minimum of 150 million on two or three top players to supplant what they already have. The hope is that we can raise enough from the players that are clearly on the scrap heap for us, but have done all right elsewhere on loan, that we can add another 30, 40 million to that with your Los and, and Dombley's and whatever. So the hope is that that can happen, but absolutely we do need to spend that kind of money. If we don't spend that kind of money, then we should sell Harry Kane, spread the cost across an entire group of young players only. And, have a completely start from the bottom up play the long game build with something bright and vibrant and promising and a bit unknown as well, because at least that's exciting. But then they should also take twenty
1: five percent of the season ticket prices if they do that. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair as well. Uh, I want to go back to the games. Let's try and talk about both of them in in the totality. So obviously two vastly different well, not completely different in the case of the latter game to Newcastle, but two much better performances and results on the whole than the Newcastle game, which is a slow step in the right direction. But both games were a bit of a throwback to the early season, weren't they, Sox? Because we started the season and we were talking about every week, how how do we keep doing this? We go behind early, we have horrible first halves and then we come back and we have a dramatic second half where we look like a different team. And we've somehow returned to this. Now, what I want to know is, what have you made of the good periods in our last couple of games? And from watching the way we play, the way we're playing under Mason, are there players that are standing out for you? Are you learning anything from seeing what we are capable of when it does click in those moments within the game? And is there anything to be hopeful For looking at some of that going into next season. Obviously, it's going to depend on the coach. Obviously, it's going to depend on what players come and go. But what have you learned and what have you made of the positives of both the second half against Man U and against Liverpool? I think Mason has said himself that he's only been there a few
3: days. They haven't been able to do anything like massively tactical. So there's not too much you can read into it from that perspective. I think very basically what you're seeing is a manager who's looking at it and going, okay, well, we can't defend very well, but we're pretty good at attacking. I'm going to encourage my yeah. attacking players who are pretty damn good to attack. We have the individual quality in us to get back into games. Obviously, we lack the individual quality to defend, which is why we've conceded six in the last two or 12 in the last three if you want mm. to look at it from that perspective. But that's essentially the difference. You have a more progressive manager that is encouraging us to push on whether we are one nil down or we've plotted it back to 2-2 or whatever it might be. There's a constant encouragement to keep going forward. Again, there isn't anything tactical I can read into it. I don't think I'm learning much because I already know we're a decent side Mm. with decent players. I already know that with the right coach, there is the bones of something okay here because we saw it last season. I think this season has felt so long and so drawn out because of how exhausting it's been. We forget that in the second half of last season, we were seeing this anyway. We went to Villa Park and it was a rocky first half, but then we hit four past them. And then we hit, I think, five past Newcastle. And then there was five Norwich. I know they weren't a good side, but Bournemouth are yeah. back, right of a side and we're losing to them. So we were scoring three, four, five plus against loads of teams yeah. on the regular at the back end of last season. Arsenal came to our place. We're largely
1: the same players Pretty well. much the
3: same side. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of the players we signed in the summer, which one of them are guaranteed first team starters that are playing now? None of them really. Mm. Richarlison came in and obviously he doesn't start most games. Basuma's been injured for most of it. It's near enough the exact same team with the exception of the last couple of days, has been Poro pretty much. Mm, yeah. Uh, so I don't think I'm learning anything because I saw it. I think the conversation for Spurs this season has been, what the hell happened from the back end of last season to this that has caused in this sort of a drop-off? So it's almost a return to that. So moving forward into next season, again, there are the bones of something decent here. There's the nucleus. If you look at there are maybe seven or eight first-team players I can think of at the top of my head that I think are good enough to build around. And then you've got probably another half-dozen Young slash unproven players you can just throw in the squad and if you sign those 3, 4, 5 players that will cost you 150 million with the right coach we're not going to win the league we might not even finish top 4 but it's something to be optimistic about what Mason is giving us in the interim is something to I don't know if I'd use the word enjoy given how this game ended <laughs> but something to look forward to like we it's been such a disastrous season Elio spoke about it at the top of the podcast it, it was nice to just feel something that feeling is ultimately pain but yeah. the, it's a, i would i would almost rather pain than yeah. the numbness pain than the apathy I, I put it in the whatsapp group afterwards yeah. it's like the good news is that i felt something but the bad news is that i'm in tremendous pain yeah. but <laughs> moving forward this is the best way because eventually that pain well, i say eventually that pain will turn to joy because i've been saying for 20-25 years with Spurs and you have to that, that painful turn <laughs> to joy and it never fucking has but maybe in another 25 years we'll get there but that's, uh, that's where I'm at with it at the moment it's better to have
0: loved and lost they say I've never loved I think we have learned a little <laughs> I think we have learned a little more about maybe not about tactics but at least about Mason we already knew that he'd want to go out and let the attacking players play because that's what he did the last time. He had the interim gig and did so very well. Gareth Bale got half his goals for the whole season in Ryan Mason six games last time. Mm. So we know that he does want an attacking team on the pitch if he can help it. We also already know that he does believe in just going on what he was like as a player himself and also the way he was one of Pochettino's marshals until we outgrew him as a player. We know that he does believe in sort of having the ball higher up the pitch, pressing and actually being aggressive off the ball, not all this passive bullshit that we've been subjected to. So that's not news from the last couple of games. What I think we have learned about him and about what And maybe he's not ready yet, but I maintain that I do see a manager there one day. What we have learned is a couple of little bits. One, he can make an in-game change. Conte couldn't. Mm. Mason today, when it was all going tits up, long before Saar came on for Kulusevsky, had us playing with three across the middle, with Kulusevsky as essentially the spare man of the three. And then eventually he brought Saar on too. So he actually tweaked things in a way that allowed us to have less trouble with a superior midfield to ours and get the ball up to Kane and Son quickly, which is how we got into the game. The other thing I'd say is that the players seem to respond to him as a person. They weren't Conte. They did respond to him. Whatever he said at halftime, whatever he tried to get in with them, Made a difference to where they performed, and in the second half, we were—I mean, we lost the game in the end. We should have won based on our second half performance, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. And I think it's fair to say his substitutions have generally been quite impressive. Okay, his substitutions he brought on have been Lucas quite- Mora who who gave away the ball at the end. You can't blame well, Mason for that exactly. It wasn't—it was a I bit of a strange Mason, one. But other that, than that- and I don't
0: blame Lucas for that either. Like, ultimately, at that point, we were three-two done, and he wanted to chase it, but. Yeah. Lucas is a guy who's had barely any minutes all season. I'm not going to get on the back of Lucas for making a mistake that cost us a goal when he's played such <clears throat> small amounts of football this season and knows he's leaving for free in a few weeks' time. That's what happens when players go rusty, unfortunately, So yeah. and out of position in a very whirlwind situation of a match anyway. So I think Mason has at least the ability to think laterally within a football match and address issues in a way that he can... Changed them positively. He'll probably get it wrong as much as he get it right at this point because the guy's managed eight games in his entire career, and I think he's two years younger than me, which is still young for a manager, even if it's not young for <laughs> most people. So yeah, um, he's the same age as
1: Nagelsmann, more or less. I think. So
0: I've se- well, yeah, but Nagelsmann yeah, started more managing yeah. seven years ago. Ryan Mason has shown that there's something between his ears that could lead to a good manager at some point. It's probably too early for him but I'd sooner back him than us going for a big name who wants to set us up to defend all the time. If we got whoever the next version of Conte is because they've got an impressive CV and they set us up with a 5-3-2 camp sort of 20 yards from our own goal then I'm going to blow my brains out I'll definitely take <laughs> yeah. Mason
1: over that Well we'll definitely come back to Mason I'm glad you brought him up because I did want to talk about this as a general talking point while we're on the kind of higher level stuff before we get into the games and look at the goals and look at a few of the talking points from both games but I want to come to Dave now because I feel like this is a decision that we as Spurs fans are too emotionally stressed to be trusted to make in terms of what we want as a fan base i think we've been hurt our emotions are all over the place we don't really know what is the smart move for us we just want something to change we just want something to look good so i think a lot of people are thinking oh you know what what the hell let's give it to mason let's make him permanent what do you think about that whole idea as an experience as he is but with you know, to, if you pardon the Frank Lampard jokes, he knows the club, he knows the stadium, he knows the tea lady. <laughs> yeah. But all jokes aside, he does know the players very well and he's worked with them for a long time and he's seen for several managers try and he knows what works, he knows what doesn't work. Is there part of you that thinks that you could do worse than having somebody like Mason, albeit with how inexperienced he is? as a full-time manager next year, and see how it goes? Or do you think that that's a disaster waiting to happen? I think we know Dave's answer. (laughs) I think probably a bit of both, to be honest.
2: Probably a bit of both. Uh, I mean, I will tell you the story of the equivalent that happened at Leeds because we all want to talk okay. about Leeds right now, right? Yeah. When Chilino was in charge of Leeds and it was a big bag of cats, Neil Redfern was the mm-hmm. de facto interim manager every time Chileno decided to sack someone. And more often than not, Redfern didn't do too bad. And ultimately, Redfern took us to the end of a season and we were all super keen for him to get the job and he didn't get it and I can't even remember who got it. I think it might have been Brian McDermott, but three or four managers later, we were still saying, why didn't we just give it to Redfern at the end of that season? But then we got Bielsa and then our entire outlook of everything changed and we think, thank God we didn't get Redfern because we'd probably be in a completely different place. We might not have been in a position where we could have got Bielsa. So I would say it's probably the reason I say it's a bit of both is the fact that I totally understand your mindset. I totally understand your desire to get someone in who has that connection with the club, has that connection with the fans, has a connection with the players as well. It all makes total sense, but it is a little Mm. bit, it's a bird in the hand basically. You know, you have the potential to find a manager who can take you up a level a level above where Ryan Mason would be able to take you. Mm-hmm. And that's the gamble. And ultimately, it's up to the board to decide if they're going to gamble. And based on what I've seen, I think that Levy's ego is too big for him to settle to appoint Ryan Mason, to be honest. Even if he knows it, it could be a win with the fans. I don't think it would be a
0: win with the fans either. I think the vast majority actually put a poll out on Twitter to this effect saying, mm. what would Ryan Mason need to do to be made permanent manager 18 points, so six yeah. wins. I think the next one was like 14 13, to 16 yeah. points, so at most a defeat. Then the next one was sort of just over half the points available. Then the next one was under no circumstances. Under no circumstances had 56%. Yeah. I think 13 to 15 or whatever it was had
1: about 20%. If you got a 100% record. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you no. got 100% record. No, that feels no That's not exactly. good enough. <laughs> if he beats Man United, Liverpool, Aston Villa coming into the job out of nowhere and wins every game not interested. In the, between now and the end of the season. Get along. Not so getting the job. He, that, that feels like exactly. we are not on his side. Get me Steve Evans' number. Our fans desperately do not want him. They
0: think we are above that. Yeah. I don't think we are above that. What I would say is that we don't want to turn down the opportunity, and I know I've been sceptical about him on the pod, we don't want to turn down the opportunity to get a Nunglesman if we can, yeah. or someone of that ilk. However, if we can't get a top-tier guy who also plays the way we want and buys into the development of a project the way we need them to at Spurs, then I don't want a second-tier, some journeyman who has two clubs every three weeks. And Mm. I don't want a huge name who's won everything he's ever won off the back of anti-football. I'd rather Mason to those two options. As far as I'm concerned, Mason is the plan B if we can't get the plan A of an Anglesman or someone of his ilk or a
1: Tuchel or bringing back Potch basically yeah yeah absolutely it, it all depends on who else is available who else we can get right so it's a difficult one to just I know what category. I don't
0: want much more than I know what I want and I think that's probably true of a lot of Spurs fans right now
1: yeah I think it's quite hard to say categorically you know whether it is a good idea or not to hire him permanently because it depends on other outside factors of course but Sox now that you've heard Elio's opinion on it you've heard a bit of Dave's opinion on it I know I floated the idea with you before we started recording and you just said no <laughs> have, have either of these two guys changed your opinion at all on that are you leaning towards the idea of at least giving it a go and seeing where it goes because I think the elephant in the room and the obvious comparison even though he was probably a bit more experienced when he took over is Mikel Arteta and how well he's doing it at Arsenal not exactly the same situation admittedly but it can work do you think there's any merit to the idea The way to kill this dead would be to look at it if it was slightly different. So, for example, if
3: I told you that a club like Sevilla in Spain, who I actually think are sitting 11th in the table at the moment, were having a torrid period and they hired uh, a very exciting manager that used to play for them and he was called Rodrigo Massono. And he came in and for the last six to eight games of the season, he had them playing pretty decent football, managed to steady the ship after them having had a whole season or two worth of defensive nonsense should we hire him at Tottenham? You'd look at it and go, what the hell are you talking about? Like, on what planet yeah, would that guy be point. anywhere near our shortlist? So the, the point there being, when you remove the emotional element of it, mm. uh, it, on one hand, we sit here and we mock the, he knows the club, he knows the club. And on the other hand, I'm looking at it, as like, well, what's on there on the CV? I understand there are Artetas and Pep Guardiolas and Sedans. There's a reason I can only name those three because they're the exception to the rule. Let's not forget, before Arteta, Arsenal gave the job initially to Lumberg, and he only lasted four games because they thought he's a bit crap, he's not good enough. Lumberg is way more of an Arsenal legend than Arteta ever was yeah. but the point is he's not a very good coach in the way that Oli Gollis Solskjaer knows Man United way more I mean did Ten Haag grow up with posters of Man United players on his wall mm. no I don't know if Sir Alex Ferguson did either Jurgen Klopp didn't know of Liverpool players I don't even know if Guardiola knew who Man City were when he was <laughs> growing up the <laughs> point is is that I don't see why this I, yeah. I understand look football is an emotional and romantic game and we support football clubs. However, what we also support are businesses. And as nice as hope and romance and love are, they're not strategies, they're not business strategy. Hope is not a strategy. Love is not a strategy. Romance is not a strategy. What you need is to make cutthroat business decisions to hire the best person for the job available. And then if they succeed, then you get the love and then you get the romance because you've got a successful team that's winning. So as much as I love Mason, I mean, I didn't love Pochettino before he came and I wasn't too sure Mm. about him. But the point is we hired the right coach who was good that tick the right boxes. So as far as I'm concerned, if you put his CV next to any of the managers we've been linked with, like a Luis Enrique, like Arne Schlott, like Poshtacoglu even, and like Nagelsmann, and you remove the fact that he used to play for Tottenham for a little while... Again, I don't disagree with what Elio said in the sense that I'd sooner him rather than whatever the next Conte is, but I don't think I will give credit to the board. I think they've learned their lesson and I don't think we're gonna even entertain the idea of the next Conte.
0: We thought they'd learned their lesson after Mourinho, and then they went to (laughs) Geno, and then they went to Got Conte.
3: (laughs) Like I said, I'm giving them the benefit because I, I, I'm almost sick of the sound of my own voice of slagging off levy every week. So I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I, I don't want to listen back to my nasally voice for the fifth week in a row. Talking you mentioned about
0: this. the name though. You mentioned Postacoglu. Had you heard of Postacoglu this time last year, or two years ago when he got given the Celtic job having been manager of Yokohama F Marinos?
3: Uh, I hadn't but the same to you had you ever heard the name of Maurizio Pochettino when Southampton inexplicably sacked Nigel Adkins Mm. and the entire footballing world was completely up in arms
0: exactly I thought it was
3: demented and then after 18 months he came to Tottenham and he proved to be obviously a brilliant coach for us. But even then, even with Posh, I I don't want to get too much in the merits of, because then we're steering it into, would you rather have Posh DiCoglu over Mason? It's not really the point. I don't think Posh DiCoglu should be on the list because I think there are at least two or three better managers that I would soon have over him. That's not the point. I'm not the one making that decision. I shouldn't be the one making that decision because I'm not qualified to. That should be down to Levy or whoever else is qualified. The point is Mason has managed, I think this is his eighth or ninth game in his entire career. Yeah. If you look at the state of the club at the moment, there is absolutely zero stability. There mm. is a malaise that has covered the whole club. We're sat here saying we basically have a defense that doesn't function outside mm. of maybe one or two players we all want the board for the most part or want the board either to stand aside or to go because we don't trust their recruitment which means yeah. we probably won't trust it in the summer anyway the last thing I want is the most inexperienced coach out there to take on what is a massive job because even if he's one of our own if you lose five of the first 10 games at the start of next season yeah. the fans will be baying for blood and what it mm. means that right now is an experienced. Yeah, so, I, I agree though. but what it what it needs is is an experienced manager that at the very least has a bit of cachet because for example imagine that's Nagelsmann for the sake of argument we'll be looking at yeah. it and
1: going we'd say trust the process
3: yes we'll be looking at it and going point to the stink stuff he did at Hoffenheim at RB mm-hmm. Leipzig and at Bayern Munich with Ryan Mason what are we supposed to say oh he play- played really well for an hour at Anfield where we ultimately lost the game mm-hmm. <laughs> he should be nowhere near the list I love Mason what he should be looking to do is to be the next Vincent company if you look at Lampard he got his first job at Derby who i think was sixth when mm. he inherited them, which is to say a good championship club at the time. Mm. Jared went to a really big club in Rangers, albeit trapped in a bit of a crap league, but mm. a good job, I'd say more than a good job for your first ever job, given what, what, yeah. what mm. the size of the club. Yeah, it's ridiculous. That's what Mason should be looking to go to one of those sorts of clubs. I know Derby and Rangers are different, but you know what I mean. Cut your teeth there, yeah. prove. What are Tottenham? What are our ambitions? My ambition as a fan, and people will laugh, I want to win the league. I want Tottenham to win the league. I want Tottenham to be the best team in this country. Every question, if I was in charge of the club, every question I would ask myself, every decision I would look at, whether that was hiring a manager or a receptionist, would be, is this going to take Tottenham Hotspur closer to winning or not? I don't care if it's the person who sweeps the Floor. Mm. That is the question we need to ask ourselves. I don't know what the question is if the answer to it is Ryan Mason. And I mean that with absolutely no ill will or no disrespect. The point is, is that if we look at our contemporaries, if they had made a similar decision, again, I appreciate Mikel Arteta is the exception, but the, the, the key word there mm. is exception. But if our contemporaries had made a similar decision, as Man United did with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, as Chelsea are doing now, I know, is on an interim basis with Frank Lampard, we would a breathe a huge sigh of relief because they'd be mm-hmm. out of the picture for a few years, and then we'd laugh at them. That's not a disrespect yep. <laughs> on Mason because he's only managed seven or eight games in his entire career. Yeah. I feel like I'm bullying a child. This is Sanchez but all, all over again from like a We're week back or two. Back ago. To it's, the cons- again. it's not his fault. Again, this yeah. this shouldn't be and, and look. If it happens, you think I'd want nothing more than to be proven wrong. And actually, he mm. is the next Arteta. And I'm loathe to keep bringing up that bastard. But he is the best That's example so that we've rock. got in the closest analog. I'd love nothing more than to be proven wrong. But again, these are businesses. Th- these are multi-billion dollar titans going up against other multi-billion dollar titans that are ruthless and cutthroat and have data and analytics. And again, it's, it's not very romantic, but that is what we're going up against. These guys have the best in class at every level. And at the moment, a manager who has only been here five minutes mm. that is essentially, we have A, a romantic attachment to him and B, the bar has been so bloody low at this club, so bloody low that you could have put me in the dugout mm. and I would have done a Harry Redknapp star put arm around the shoulder and maybe I would have got something more than them. Obviously, I'm I'm being a bit melodramatic for, for effect here, but it's not a difficult, and I don't want to take anything away from him, it's not a difficult bar to clear at the moment. Yeah. because. You could throw in Eddie Howe and you and I, Emory, and all these coaches. Again, well, I know there are other clubs at the moment, but like, what has Mason even got on them? Forget Path and and all the yeah. rest of them. So it's not even a, like I said, if this was somebody else's club legend at Sevilla or at Villarreal or Valencia, who had had eight half decent games in his managerial career, stepping in and playing some half decent football after managers that they previously had who were defensive, and it turned out they were on our managerial shortlist. Instead of wasting 15 minutes talking about this now, we'd just waste another 15 minutes talking about why the hell are they even on the shortlist? Leave yeah. me out. He doesn't know what he's exactly. doing. I- yeah. I'll be honest. I'm stunned we're even talking about this. I'm not going <laughs> to well, lie. I'm, I'm I mean, absolutely sure. I feel,
0: I feel like your retort was a bit overzealous considering I started off with, I don't think he's ready for it. <laughs> and my very caveated crux was he's preferable to a sort of chop shop plan B to what the plan A should be. I want the same as you with the plan A. I'm just looking at damage limitation, essentially, if that plan A isn't achievable for whatever reason. And very often with Spurs, as you know, the plan A's aren't achieved because Enoch. So mm. yes, we shouldn't be aiming for Mason. We should be aiming for Nangles. And we should be actually trying to primary Emery away from Aston Villa, as far as I'm concerned. That would be a great appointment. Mm. Ex-Arsenal aside. Well, but if it wasn't a plan A person, then I don't want more of the same of what we've had. I don't want these elite wankers, the Mourinho's and the Contos, who think they're too good for us and use their CVs to countenance whatever tripe they serve us. And I don't want to have a Fonseca, who we were linked with a couple of summers ago, who's just had 15 clubs in the space of 10 years, jumping around here, there, and everywhere Mm. if that happens to play a nice style of football. I'd rather go with the romantic option than
1: the settling option. And I do think there's a difference between the two. Yeah, I think we've all arrived at that point. Really. I don't think anyone wants to see another Conte Mourinho type. I think it, it has to be somebody on the way up for sure, but maybe a bit soon. When do we get reason, to talk but-
0: about how much of a car the Liverpool manager is well, will you
1: let me get onto it? We'll get onto it. I was yeah, going to say, we're still we're, talking about Ryan Mason. I was just gonna say maybe, the can podcast. Come back, <laughs> <laughs> maybe he can come back in a couple of years after the next guy fails when he's gone and got some experience in the championship or something. Yeah, we'll come back to it then. This is what Spurs do to us. We've played two games since our last recording, eleven goals, yet we've spent fifty minutes and we haven't talked about a single one of those goals. We haven't even analyzed the games. Probably a little bit too many things to go into and too many talking points. But we don't need to actually really go into too much detail about the actual goals at the moment because there's so many of them, and I think just the overall high level is more important. But there are a couple of things I wanted to just point out. Just a couple of the goals that I think are worth mentioning. First of all, Poro scored his first goal for us, which is nice to see, and I think he's actually had flashes, looking really good. Uh, and Richardson scored his first goal, which was uh, unfortunately the moment was kind of ruined, and we'll get on to how it was ruined in a little bit. But good for him actually scoring a goal, finally one that was allowed, that wasn't ruled out. But before we talk about the next goal, the goal that won the game for Liverpool today, which was scored by Diego Jota, of course. Let's talk about what. whether. Whether or not Diego Jota should have been on the pitch to score that goal. I suspect this is where some of the rage might come out. Dave, you've been Hmm. patiently waiting there while these two are talking about Mason and uh, other things. And uh, I apologize for not grabbing a firmer handle on this podcast. I feel like I'm a bit too hungover to be handling this at the moment. I don't have the same (laughs) authority that I normally do. So I do apologize. But I'm going to come to you now. You've seen the match, I assume. You watched everything. You've seen the incident I'm talking about. Jota's boot in Skip's face. He drew blood. It was a yellow card. What do you think of the incident?
2: It was dangerous. It was very dangerous and I was surprised that it wasn't upgraded to a red, to be honest, because there's no two ways about it. You know, that is dangerous play and it's putting the well-being of the opponent at risk. And in that instance, I don't think there's any other option than to send someone off. You know, no one ever tries to hurt someone. No one ever tries mm. apart from Roy Keane, but he's an animal. And he, deserves <laughs> he deserves to be, you know. Suck <laughs> some, some you, Dave. Come on. That was his job. Mm. Nobody wants to hurt people. Nobody wants to go and over the top of a football and into someone's leg, but it's dangerous. It's really dangerous play. And, you know, he's putting his hmm. foot up that high, he runs the risk of hitting someone in the face. And he hit him in the face. And from my perspective, that's a red card. It doesn't mean he meant to do it, but it was dangerous. And, you know, you should have to pay the price for that
1: sort of thing. Last thing, it doesn't have to be deliberate, does it? We talked about this before. It's not about wanting to hurt them, and it rarely is. If for no other reason, it's off preservation. They don't want to get a red card. They're not going to go out of their way unless they're completely seeing red. Elio, you made a good point. You said that it seems to be a different standard held to a boot in the face, to a boot in the leg when it comes to red card decisions in football. I mean, studs going into someone's
0: shin risks breaking their leg. It's a red card. Not contesting that. Studs going into someone's head risks killing them. (laughs) Yeah. Why is that not a red card? I just don't understand it. I just don't understand how... And it's not as if Skip had stooped really low and the guy had swung for the ball and it was an unfortunate clash. His boots was above his own shoulder when it hit Skip in the head. It was so dangerous. And He's
2: quite small. The...
0: <laughs> Who? Skip or Jota? Jota? Well, they both are, actually. <laughs> both but, quite so... small, yeah. And then you can't even say... Did the ref had a clear view or not? Because it was right in front of him. There was no one between the referee and the image of Jota's boots going to Skip's head. And you can't even say, oh, well, it happened too quickly and Skip overdid his reaction. So that made the ref think maybe he was playing it up a bit because there was blood pouring from his temple. (laughs) I mean, how much more of a Stonewall red card do you want? Unfortunately, the victims of Liverpool, as they should only ever be described as, because... They are such victims. Never get decisions like that given against them at Anfield, ever. And you could almost predict the second that Jota's boots yeah. went into Skip's head that Jota would win the game for Liverpool. You could almost predict coming, that do you? you? You can always predict that we'd come back and equalise in the exact fashion that we did just so that Jota could then f <laughs> us like that in the 95th and a half minutes. The second he didn't get sent off of that. And for that fucking Stephen Merchant knockoff wanker Jürgen Klopp, that gaslighting <laughs> bullying prick that he is. And I think we can all agree that Jürgen Klopp is a gaslighting, (laughs) bullying prick, because we've all agreed about this before in the podcast. I know Dave agrees. To have the temerity to scream in the official's face as celebration for his team scoring, instead of just enjoying his... Yeah,
1: and only getting a yellow as well. That should have been another red.
0: But has the temerity to do that when his winner has just been scored by a guy who should have been sent off, when his team have not had a stonewall penalty given against them. For him to do that... And it gets laughed off as cheeky Jurgen Klopp. He's so heavy metal, rock and roll football. F*** off you wankers. He is a dickhead. Paul Tierney gave him tons of favours. Klopp should have been going down on his knees for Tierney at the end of that game after the performance that ref gave.
1: Not screaming in his face. He did put a hamstring, though. So, you know, justice was done in the end. There's a tweet here from Paddy Power. VAR, Paul, I've checked it. And although Skip has been kicked full force in the head by an opponent, that player is clearly wearing a Liverpool shirt. So it's a yellow card. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. Yeah, I think we all knew what was coming, didn't we, Socks? Because how many times have we seen this? Where I think even with Liverpool, it's happened before, hasn't it? Where a player should have been sent off and then was involved and scored in scoring the winner at Anfield. There's always something. Whenever we play Liverpool, there always seems to be some kind of talking point. And yeah, the script did not disappoint. But you must have been fearing the worst when that didn't happen. but did you think when we'd equalized okay it's safe now (laughs) this is actually (laughs) all right or was there still that kind of spurs alarm going off in your head thinking there's still time i mean i thought we'd go on and win it
3: <laughs> I didn't have enough time to calm down because it was the first goal. I feel like I properly celebrated. I think, honestly, since it was Hoiberg yeah. away at Marseille back in November, wow. yeah. it was it's been that long. Uh, just because the apathy and just the sort of malaise is setting for so long. Mm. In terms of the controversy, it, the one I remember that it reminded me of immediately was Man City away January 2012, where Balotelli stamped on Scott Parker's oh, yeah. face right under the nose of Howard Webb. Yeah. And then we gave away a penalty, which was a legitimate penalty. It was a horrible King challenge. Yeah. And then Balotelli smashed the penalty in and it was that exact same sort of vibe. Yeah. Uh, it, it's difficult to know what to say after that because it was such a whirlwind of emotions in terms of the game. And I think we're also forgetting that there was a penalty, I think whilst we were still at, I can't remember we at 3-1 or 3-2. I'm pretty sure it was at 3-2. Where Konate dragged down Rashad, so he went down slightly melodramatically, but when I think that probably worked against him, I But agree, it yeah. was a penalty all the same. I think Canate was already on a yellow at that point. I'm not entirely sure what the double jeopardy rule is nowadays, if that only affects goalkeepers or not. But either way, that could have potentially been a second yellow and a red then. So you can make the argument that we would have been at 3-3 way earlier than when we actually got there and against the team with nine men. Yeah. At that point, if we went on to lose 4-3, then we only have ourselves to blame. But it's a bit of a signal to lose a last-minute goal under any circumstance with this, it's that feeling of Rob, that feeling of injustice. I mean, we've all been there so many times. Mm. There's only so much we can F and blind about it. Nothing is going to change. The result is what it is. The only thing I'm grateful for and the only silver lining is that at least there's nothing riding on it. Because imagine if yeah. we were gunning mm. with Liverpool for top yeah. four at this stage of the season and this was the result that swung it in their favor. I mean, I guess we're gunning with them for Europa League, but... Mm. I'm not that I disrespect the European, I like for us to qualify for it, but it just doesn't have that same weight to it given the context of our season and yeah. how it's panned out. So that's the only thing that's making me feel maybe a bit less angry than than Elio at the moment, but you don't want to keep going on about big four club buyers, big six club buyers or whatever it is. But I saw this with Sir Alex Ferguson and Man United so many times. And yeah. again, there's a reason they barely lose there. So
1: what can you say? What can you say? Yeah, I agree though. I'm over it already, to be honest with you. I was very angry and I was, I was up and down and I got into the game and I celebrated the equalizer and I screamed at the winner. And... You know, I was in the moment, but unlike if it was a game with more writing on it, like you said, I would still be here seething. I'm over already. I'm just like, in fact, it's been replaced. And you touched on this. It's been replaced in my mind with a sense of, hey, I actually got into a football game. I cared today. And that's quite nice, you know, and, and that's kind of both games, really. I think there's a sense of that. Uh, Dave, having watched that game in particular, or both games, if you want to comment on it, do you think, though, that Spurs actually deserve to be in that game and do you think they deserve more than going out to a last minute winner in injury time because obviously we talked about a couple of decisions there was the penalty there was the red card we got a little bit unlucky there maybe a bit of home big six big four bias but we definitely came to the races and we gave it a good go on the pitch with the football what do you think that the results slightly faster Liverpool or do you think you just can't legislate for a start that bad <laughs>
2: you can't legislate for a start that bad it's just that it's just the worst possible thing you can do just not start out of the blocks and it's what you guys were doing earlier Earlier in the season in the first mm. halves and it, what you did obviously against Man United as well and it's what you did today against Liverpool I don't know how would the Spurs team the only people in the world that don't see this or is it a plan or is it a strategy
1: I don't know we're not going back to that we're we'll not opening that door again
2: but I mean come on you can't go 3-0 down and then go right okay we're going to start playing now it's not. It's not mm. That's not a game
1: plan. It's ridiculous that we've arrived at the point where you have to make statements like that, but it's true. We just can't, you can't get away with that. So, so in short, Dags, no, you no. didn't deserve anything from today. Because no, Because you, I'm- once
2: again, you didn't start when the first whistle went.
1: Yeah, I can always agree on you to give us a reality check. I think the difference between earlier in the season when we talked about the comparison of having those good second halves and terrible first halves is that we were seeing it out and we were actually getting the results. Whereas I think in the last, I saw a stat earlier, in the last seven games, we've actually lost points to injury time goals in four of them. And that's bottling it. I mean, we're talking about the bottle conversation. So, so it's not good. There's obviously a big mental problem. Conceding those goals early on, and then not seeing out the final few minutes of the game as well. but as long as bad, bad finishes, finishes we're okay somewhere in the middle <laughs> here and there but again I think it's just something that obviously comes down to a mental thing and whether that's a coach or just having more riding on it to actually make us play differently we'll have to see Elio do you think the early goals the late goals the dropping of concentration do you think that's just something that is always going to be there to a degree when there's less to play for is that what this is? do you think that if we pick things up at the beginning of next season we'll see those eliminated or do you think there's more that needs to change before we can say bye bye to matches like the last few I think
0: there's more that needs to change I I don't think it just don't get me wrong these players have had a strange season they're on their third manager they've been told to play one way then another they've had a manager constantly say I'm not telling them to play this way they're ignoring my instructions he was doing that for about what 25 games in a row so Mm -hmm. these players are probably as demotivated a collective as you're likely to see in terms of the management above them obviously it's not just us fans that think about oh is our best player leaving this some of the players are also probably thinking oh my god Mm. the guy that's actually kept us somewhere respectable all season maybe off in the summer like there's all these things that will be on those players minds Uh, you know that I don't generally cut players too much slack when it comes to psychological excuses but as far as it goes there are reasons why these players have well served up what they've served up and been so inconsistent. However, and I think this is unfortunately something they've been doing for a few years now, basically from the Champions League final onwards, they are hiding behind every reason other than themselves. As the cause of the inconsistency, the poor performances, the the lack of fight, whatever you want to call it, the poor mentality. It's we're being trained too hard. We're not being trained hard enough. We're being coached to play away. We don't want to play. This manager's too mean to us privately. This yeah. manager's too mean to us publicly. There's there's every reason in this book. This player got his place back in the team automatically when I deserve to keep it. Uh, whatever. There, there, there's a million one excuses that have been afforded these players in the last few years. So.
1: yeah, I think... you that a soft?
0: I, th- I think there's a core element that unfortunately is the centerpiece of our playing squad that unfortunately have a big voice, but a little heart. And mm. I think those are the ones that need to be weeded out. Unfortunately, I think it starts probably with a great servant, but a guy who's passed it's in our captain. I think... The Viking, chest-thumping, Viking blood, Heuger, <laughs> is probably a cause. That Eric Dyer, I think we all yeah. know, is part of this collective as well. And listen, on the pitch, I love everything about him, but Harry Kane's one of the leaders at the club. I do begin to question, and don't go wrong, there is no circumstance under which I ever want to see Kane leave us. I love the guy. He's the best forward we've yeah. ever had, and he's one of the top players on the planet. But... You question what is this guy doing off the pitch as well? Sometimes he's been here nine years. He's been, hit, well, he's been here yeah. since he was 11 actually, but he's been here through all this. He's been part of the failures. He's also not shown up in a variety of big games as well. Mm. some accountability for the leaders because you can't expect 22-year-old, 23-year-old Deky Kuliszewski in his first full season with us to be one of the leaders. You can't expect that off skip at his age. You can't expect Longley on loan from Barcelona to be a leader. You expect it from the guys who have been here. You expect it from Davies, hoybia Kane, Lloris, Son. What the f*** is he doing? And mm. so all these issues, all this hiding, all this non-accountability for the rot underneath our foundations it comes down to the guys that have been here to see it all and yeah. that's why we do need to see some wholesale ruthless treatment of that Sorts talks about us being a billion pound entity who needs to be ruthless in terms of what we do at the manager stage we need to be ruthless at what we yeah. do at
1: every level yeah, I think the point, Danny Kelly made a nice point on uh, View for the Lane podcast where he said he basically plays the tough guy in the trailer, but then as soon as the cameras start rolling, he goes missing. I think that's quite a nice way of describing exactly. him, he, He's the little
0: guy in the gangster movie where yeah. there's been a big gunfights going on and he's been hiding behind a <laughs> table. And just as the last few bullets have flown around, he sneaks out from behind the table and goes, yeah, and then hides <laughs> yeah, again.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Uh, Alan Kane, I think, uh, in, in all fairness to, to his credit, he does keep on scoring, if nothing else. And uh, he did actually just he does score. His two hundred and eighth goal, which puts him level with Wayne Rooney, which is nice. Socks, I think you had your hand up. You wanted to interject and mention something on the point of our kind of soft underbelly. I uh, suspect.
3: I think to Elio's point, I think we set the tone with the sacking of Pochettino because yeah. that was the sliding doors moment where we effectively backed the dressing room over the manager. And it's something we've been continuously doing since and even though the dressing room has changed somewhat it's the same thing again and again and it doesn't help when we pick the wrong manager because you can make an argument that those managers should be getting sacked anyway but that is ultimately the fork in the road that we get to we pick the wrong one at the major moment which was pochettino obviously easy to say in hindsight yeah. but what can you do i don't want to sort of base the premise of my argument too much on this point but if you think of Danny Rose's meeting with Jose Mourinho in the documentary, what was the most telling thing for me the more I look back on it was when he says, oh, I'm going to go and tell Daniel. And then you mm. and you start thinking to yourself, again, I, I don't want to read too much into one thing because Rose, yeah. I've always this had Danny a soft spot for him, but he can be a, a bit of a volatile character. Yeah. But you, you start reading into that and going, hold on a minute. Is that what everyone is doing? How yeah. consistently are our players going above the manager and going, well, if you're not playing me, I'm going to the chairman. And you think of Levy eating dinner with the players and being a bit too buddy-buddy. It almost feels like there needs to be... like I would hope that if a player goes to Levy from this point onwards and says the manager's not picking me, Levy says, piss off. It's the manager's decision. It's why I hired him. So I think by continuously making this decision to back the dressing room over the coach, we are going to have players that one week are complaining about one thing and the next the other. I remember Moussa Dembele at one point complaining that the White Hart Lane pitch was too small. And then I remember we went to Wembley and he complained it was too long. (laughs) I remember when, uh, I'm no whatever, like, check it, Google it yourself. I'm not making that up. I swear to God. I remember when we sacked Pochettino, the players were complaining that the training sessions were too tough. After Jose, apparently they weren't tough enough, yeah. now they're too tough again, potentially under Conte. Our players just make up whatever excuse it is that they want when the manager gets sacked, and again, it's not as if these managers didn't deserve to get sacked because some of them should never have been appointed. but it's the same sorts of excuses, so it's a cultural problem that unless we root out and obviously yeah. we need the right manager, it will be there eighteen months with somebody complaining, "Ah, oh, well, my was too tactical. he <laughs> gave us too much information, I didn't have <laughs> to deal with it or whatever too it flexible. Would be. You can see it exactly, you
2: can see it coming a mile yeah. off
1: Uh, Dave, are are Tottenham soft and or whatever you were going to say, before it (laughs) socks? Tottenham are
2: soft. I thought it was was interesting that there's a really interesting point where Danny Rose just says, oh, I'm just going to go talk to Daniel. Mm. That's fine. I don't think there's an issue with a player talking to the chairman. But the first thing that Daniel Levy needs to say is when Danny Rose comes into his meeting room and says what he has to say, the first thing that Daniel Levy should be saying is, what did Jose say?
1: Yeah. Why are you telling me this?
2: Oh, right. Okay. So Jose told you that. So why are you here? That's (laughs) the answer. You you should, you you know, this is like management 101. You should have an open door policy. You know, you should accept that people want to come see you and want to come air grievances. But ultimately, you have to respect the chain of command. And if you're not respecting the chain of command from a chairman's perspective, then that's the issue. And that's probably what the situation feels like it has been in the past. And the fact that, you know, it's gone up to Levy and Levy has made a decision that goes against something that has been done by a manager. And that's where it all falls down. I want to get back to the game because I want to talk about Harry Kane's goal. More importantly, Mm -hmm. I want to talk about Perisic Sitting Van
1: Dyke down
2: before, <laughs> yeah. before that goal, which might yeah. arguably be the best moment
1: footballing-wise <laughs> of your season. Yeah, that was pretty spectacular. I love the stills that have come out of it as well. With Van Dyke like, falling on the over backwards. For the last
2: Fifteen minutes to be honest on Twitter. I've <laughs> got, I've
1: got, I've got a, a seven-second loop of it. It's great. Yeah, we take our small victories where we can at Tottenham Hotspur, don't we? And his um, cross was excellent. You know, straight was... onto Kane's foot. That was as good a goal as, as you can score in that situation. I think if there's two things we can rely on. It is that Perisic can put in a good cross. And it is more often than not, Harry Kane will finish his chances. So at least we've got that for another five games. Anyway, more on that in in episodes to go. Four games. Four games, yeah. I mean, it, it is terrifying, genuinely, when you think that we might have four games left of Harry Kane. Don't forget about the FA Cup final. Oh, no, wait. Oh, wait, no. No, none of that. None of that. I realised we talked shockingly little about the Man United game. I guess you could say a lot of the same things about it in the sense of terrible start, pretty good, a second half. But was there anything that anyone wanted to mention in that game in particular? We touched on Dyer's defending, not being great for the rash goal, another early one. Anything of note that we might have missed? No. <laughs> I, I, I feel like it's just the Liverpool game light. Yeah, essentially. yeah. A four-goal classic is just like a footnote I mean, compared to our.
0: I, I don't. Usual. I, I think the main difference being that I do think balance of play we were the better team ultimately at Anfield, whereas balance of play we probably weren't in the Manchester United game. That's the main difference. But mm. yeah, I really think it's just Liverpool light. Really, it's the same game in
2: in yeah. two different stages. I don't know if this is a, I don't know, a Sky Sports vendetta against Manchester United, which I'd be 100% in favour be on board with, of. yeah. But based on the highlights that I saw, because I didn't actually watch this game, you guys should have won. You guys should have won quite comfortably. Mm-hmm. Because... Yes, Sancho scored a good goal, which he's scored a million times before for Dortmund, but maybe the first time he's ever scored it for Manchester (laughs) United, so uh, read into that while you will. Yes, Dyer gave Rashford way too much space and you were 2-0 down at half-time, and we've heard that story before. Good finish from Poirot, and then a good Son at the end, wasn't it, with the the final goal, and good assist from Harry Kane. But Son and Dyer had two absolutely golden opportunities to score. You know, you could have been home mm. and hosed by the time. Yeah, yeah Diaz was that, unmarked Diles Diles was as well. was in. shocking. Unmarked, um, unmarked and should have scored. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm only going by the uh, Sky Sports highlights, so I can only assume that they hate Manchester United, which is quite a turn of events.
1: <laughs> that, that really is, isn't it? It's taken about seven or eight years. Did you see Ryan Mason after Diaz missed that chance? He was on his hands and knees with his head in his hands, like just on the floor, looked absolutely... Uh, it's because he knows the club guys. Yeah, he, exactly. Yeah, He, he was like a man who knows Spurs. I'll tell you that, Dave. If if you said, what was the Spurs fans' emotions? Just that picture of, of Ryan Mason on the floor. Yeah, I actually think the biggest difference in those two games was that I don't think we were that bad at the beginning of the Man United game, which sounds ridiculous considering we went 2-0 down. But I actually think we started the first five minutes quite well and then they just gave us a bit of a sucker punch. That Sancho goal was a nice goal. And I don't think there was a huge amount we could have done about that one. Maybe the Rashford one more so. That was definitely on dire, But I don't think we were as bad in that game which is why it was so frustrating that we just reverted back to newcastle in the liverpool game at the beginning but God. you know four years ago
0: we go unbeaten all season at home in the last season at white Hart lane four years ago no six years ago jesus six. christ that's depressing oh God. um my, <laughs> as i'm making us feel old and depressed two years <laughs> after that's we're in our first ever champions league final and now we didn't start that badly <laughs> Great. For five minutes.
1: We were okay for five minutes <laughs> until we conceded. <laughs> oh, yeah, or, or we actually tried despite losing 4-3. I actually mm-hmm. quite like, begrudgingly quite like Gary Neville's comment after Jota scored the winner today. That is the most Tottenham thing you'll ever see. <laughs> like, I can't disagree. No. At first I was like, how dare you know? Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah. When Gary Neville
0: manages to not get one of the biggest, richest, strongest sides in Spain who have traditionally (laughs) always been the third team in that country relegated. He can have a valid
1: opinion on football. (laughs) Until then, he can crawl back into the hole from whence he came. It's always an easy way to get Elio going, just dropping Gary Neville in there. Gary Neville, Danny Rose, just easy easy wins. Right, guys, I'm conscious we have been going on for quite a while and I think we've kind of jumped in and out of both games and covered most of the main points. We haven't really got into all the goals, but when you can see as many as we do, there just aren't enough hours in the day, are there? So we might have to do an abridged version. But was there anything... Whether it's to do with the games or just generally about the future Spurs, I know we've obviously got a game to preview, but I think we can probably skip over that because who knows. Uh, but uh, anything to add? No. Well, just for five minutes then, Dave, because I know you do keep an eye on Palace. Because is it your uh, mother-in-law is a Palace fan, right? They're our next opponents. Palace at home. They're looking, unfortunately, for us. They're looking okay now. They brought back Cory Ogden not going to be a walk in the park is it it's
2: inexplicable it's like the Roy Hudson school of attacking football that nobody ever realized existed <laughs> like him. yeah four, four goals yesterday they can't defend corners so you know this that's could be a very special but yeah they've got everybody's firing on all cylinders Zaha's back from injury now Michael Alise is actually performing mm-hmm. like we thought Michael Alise might perform like uh, for the last couple of years uh, yeah, so scoring. that's uh, really positive is getting goals Jordan I is getting goals so you know what what's going on what deal has been made with what devil that would make this <laughs> happen? So, yeah, it's looking really positive for CPFC at the moment. Yeah. Was it John Ayou
1: uh, who scored a goal about 15 minutes in and then took his shirt off to celebrate <laughs> an equaliser? Yeah. Like, I saw yeah, somebody comment I, saying, that screams of I've got to bet on myself to get booked. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> exactly. Why yeah. would you do that? That's, really <laughs> that's, really that's an even
2: Tony special. But yeah, it um, certainly is. But, uh, but, yeah, it's not an ideal game for you, but at the same time, it's a Premier League. So, you know,
1: there are thing no as ideal games unless you're playing Leeds. Speaking of bets, a little congratulations to OTBC Jaden on Twitter, who posted a screenshot of his winnings from Paddy Power of a £5 stake that he put on, I presume, in the last sort of five, ten minutes of the game today on Richarlatan to score and to be shown a card. You obviously thought, here comes his first goal. Here comes the shirt removal, winning him a cool £1,250 which is fantastic. So, well done to you. And more reason for me to be bitter and jealous and depressed. But I didn't do that. Anything else to talk about, guys, on any of those games or on the upcoming game? Are we actually looking forward to it in any way whatsoever? Or has today I'm just killed me? I've got two games left
0: to attend this season and then a couple of weeks where I pretend like I'm happy football's over and then six <laughs> weeks of whinging that there's no football to watch. So, yeah. so, no, I'm looking forward to it hopefully
1: it's a good day fantastic socks any closing thoughts
0: no not really similar yeah it's
3: the best chance for mason i suppose to continue to get us playing well he'll actually have time to do something mm. tactically again that time will only be a handful of days so i'm not expecting us to rock up and look like peps barcelona or anything but yeah. you're at home against the palace side who do look decent but they just hit the 40 point mark So there's a half decent chance Mm. that they might be on the beach already. Again, I think really what we're fighting for is what potentially Europa League. Yeah. So depending on how much you really care about that at this point, then there is something to kind of be
1: up for, but, I'm just counting down the game still yeah. to be honest with you yeah it all feels a little bit pointless doesn't it it's almost like pre-season it's almost like let's just see what our players are made let's see who's on form let's see who we might actually build a team around next season and uh, you just got to look at it with a view of uh, a potentially incoming manager thinking oh who can I make do something good next season but we'll, we'll see and uh, obviously if we hear any more news on any potential incoming managers we will let you know and we'll discuss it when it comes around we'll be back next week we're going to talk about the Palace game and whatever drama Spurs have thrown our way off the field between now And then I'm sure there will be something or other. I'm sure there'll be more rumours. I'm sure there'll be more interviews with Harry Kane hinting that he might be leaving. So we'll see. We'll see. But I hope you join us for that. And in the meantime, why not drop us a follow on Twitter at Plus Dave Podcasts. Follow me at Plus Dave Dags. Follow Dave at Fantasy Dave. And follow Elio at Elio underscore P. Underscore THFC. What you can also do, which I've realized it's probably been about 50 episodes since I last actually mentioned that we have an email address because I just kind of assumed that nobody uses email anymore until I received an email that I'm going to read out. Before I do, let me just tell everyone that our email address is plusdavepodcast at gmail.com. And we received an email to plusdavepodcast at gmail.com after the Newcastle game from a gentleman who goes by the name of Big Mike. Now, for those who have not listened in a while, you might remember from our first season, we had a regular on the show called Joe, Joe Brooker, who I'm hoping is still listening. This is Joe's dad, Mike, who is probably one of our longest term listeners and certainly one of our favorite listeners and um, an excellent man. He sends the following message. Gentlemen. I just wanted to send a wee message to say thank you for continuing podcasts in the face of adversity. Like many, I felt let down, humiliated, pretty much embarrassed, not long into the Newcastle game. I watched the whole thing with some sort of sense of duty, but a number of things became clear. Harry has done all he can. He's in the same league as Matthew D'Otizio. Good luck to him. He couldn't have done any more, and he does deserve better. Spurs and Dave, it's not terribly easy for Dave this season either. (laughs) Keep going. You genuinely have reminded me why I have served six decades. What does worry me is, if it takes as long to get to the next piece of silverware as the gap since the last one, I may not see it. Apologies to all the children who are forced into this situation. Having said that, I'm really confident it will be great one day. Big Mike. Lovely letter, apart from the rather morbid thing about not living to see spurs win a trophy, but I think we've all felt that way at one time or another. Um, so thank you very much, Big Mike. I'm glad to hear that you're still listening and enjoying the show. And it's great to hear that we actually do have some people that still tune in and listen, which is fantastic. And again, thanks to all of our listeners on that. Um, before we wrap things up, actually, that has reminded me of something, earlier I remember from many, many years ago, and this was like in the 90s. This was back when we were really rubbish and probably around the time where the only bright spot with someone like Ginola and our team and we were perennially finishing between 14th and 11th. And I remember asking you once, I said, do you think you'll ever live to see Spurs win the title? And this is a time where you were actually quite an optimistic young Spurs fan. And you said, no. You turned around to me and let me dead in the eye and you said, no, I don't think we'll ever win the league or I don't think I'll live to see us win the league. Um, probably not the best time to ask you the same question again but <laughs> that's well, your the, sad is it,
0: the sad thing is it's probably truer now than it was then because of <laughs> yeah, the influx well. of money into the clubs like Manchester City so well that's yeah. the thing
1: but um, well, we've I, come close since then or at least reasonably close you know what who
0: knows I think we're going to live to see Newcastle win the league and I wouldn't have bet on that so you never know <laughs>
1: you do never know
0: hell maybe Leeds might even win the league I went to A-League Championship.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Socks, are we we ever going to see Spurs in the league? 10, 20, 30 years?
3: With football in its current state where it's essentially he who is richest wins for the most part, I'd say probably not. No, unless we become Um, that team. I think
1: that's probably the only way. Wow. Dave, I'm relying on you to salvage some sense of positivity off the back of that dark hole I just dragged this podcast into. Can you send us off on a high note, please? No pressure. No. (laughs) okay i tried (laughs) fantastic right thanks very much guys for being on the show thanks everyone who listened and fingers crossed we will be in much better spirits next week but either way i'm sure it'll be entertaining because in some weird way it always is stay classy spurs fans and we'll see you next week